Hey, this is Zach Bear, and you are listening to Thunder Underground. Rock on! Welcome to episode 288 of the Thunder Underground podcast. Trent here. Jason's out this week. But I've got a great interview with Zach Bear coming up here on this episode for you. Zach has a new EP out that just came out here a few weeks ago. He also owns the company's Disc Live and Venue. We'll talk all about all three of those things. It's a great one. We're looking forward to hearing this one back and getting this one out here for you. But before we get into all that, of course, I got to let you know who helps support this podcast every week. And that's our sponsors, who are MedFarm, a dispensary located right here in Broken Arrow, Oklahoma. 24683 East Highway 51. They're right off the highway. You can't miss them. You can check out their selection on leafly.com. Their website is medfarmok.com, and you can follow them on their socials at MedFarm on Facebook, that's P-H-A-R-M, and Instagram is MedFarmOK. They're always running specials on their their social medias, so follow them on there so you don't miss that. And one of their specials that is always running is that if you mention Thunder Underground, they'll give you 10% off your first order, which is really cool. And on top of all that, 30% of their proceeds go to help build no-kill animal shelters, which is an amazing thing that is the very reason I believe you should frequent MedFarm over any other dispensary in this area. There's tons of them out here now, but who else is donating nearly a third of their profits to go to such a great cause? You can also give them a call or shoot them a text and place your order ahead of time, and then you can just go right through their drive through and pick up the order that way. I know that's something that a lot of dispensaries don't offer as well, so another great feature of MedFarm. So get over there, check them out, and of course mention our name for your discount. Hell Hot Hot Sauce is a hot sauce company based out of the San Francisco Bay Area. They make small batch artisan hot sauces that are excellent, and I can tell you that from experience. We got ourselves a hold of some Florida Frank's Florida Heat. It's the collaboration they did with Florida Frank of Hate Breed. It is fantastic. It is extremely hot, but it is extremely flavorful, which is what you want. I'm not a big fan of sauces that are just hot to be hot. And hella hot hot sauces. Hot sauces are definitely hot, but they definitely have the flavor as well, which is what you want. Get on hellahothotsauce.com. You can place an order there. They'll ship it to you around the country. And if you're on the West Coast, they sell them in stores out there. So you can pick it up that way. And of course, mention our name if you place an order. Sunset Tattoo is a tattoo shop located right in Midtown Tulsa. Follow them on Instagram and Facebook. Both of those are at Sunset Tattoo Tulsa. They've got a ton of pictures on there where you can check out all their work. And it's all great work. Jake and his crew have over 25 years of experience. Their tattoos are done good and proper. They're state licensed and they are mother approved. So give them a call or shoot them a text or an email or whatever so you can set up a time to get over there and talk about what work you need to have done from Jake and his crew. And finally, DEB Concerts, a promoter based right here in Tulsa, Oklahoma as well. They've brought in a ton of great acts to downtown Tulsa, and they also book the Roadhouse stage at Rocklahoma the last few years. They've brought in acts like Last in Line, Snoop Dogg, 
Saxon, Warrant, Bisto Blanco, L.A. Guns, a long list. They recently brought in Phil Lewis doing an acoustic show. Socially distanced, of course. Tables set up. The ideal barroom has a system in place that pulls out 99.9% of all surface and airborne germs, which is an amazing thing that that club offers that most do not. So you can get in there and feel safe. This October 23rd, John Karabi will be making a visit to the Ideal Ballroom to play an acoustic show. If you've never seen John Karabi, I urge you that you need to see him. If you're in the Oklahoma or nearby area, get out there to the show. If you're anywhere else in the country and he's playing, get out there and check him out. He's one of my favorite singers of all time. He, of course, was the voice of Motley Crue in the mid-90s. He also fronted the Scream, the Dead Daisies for a while. He fronted Union with Bruce Kulick. He was in Rat, playing rhythm guitar. He's done a plethora of other things, and he's got a lot of great solo work. So get out there and check that out. That show will be opened by our friends in Rocket Science, who are a great band out of the Tulsa area. Get on debconcerts.com for ticket info. And you can also keep up to date that way on any of their upcoming shows to be announced or any of the previous shows that got postponed. And of course, we'll let you know as soon as we know. All right, now that we've got the the sponsors here for you, I guess it's time to get into some talk about Zach. I'm not going to be too lengthy here as far as talking about other stuff. I know there's a few things going on, but Jason and I have several episodes recorded, so here in the coming week we'll probably delve into a few things, but if you missed last week, we had David Elfson from Megadeth on talking about the album from his band Elfson that's coming out here in just a couple weeks. We've got one coming up with Jeff Carlson from the Jeff Carlson Band. We've got one coming up with Joe Cotella, the lead singer for the band Dead. And then we've got one coming up with Mercedes Lander, who is the lead vocalist and guitarist for the White Swan, and of course, best known as the drummer for Kitty. That's very cool. I just recorded that one yesterday. And then we've got four more interviews scheduled in the next week and a half. So we'll be able to tell you about those next week. We don't like to announce things before they happen. You know, I feel maybe that jinxes things. Maybe it doesn't because I've seen other podcasts and other people announce things way ahead of time and then they happen. But I just know in the past a few times I've went around telling friends or whoever we've got so-and-so coming up and then it falls through. So I'm just going to leave it at that. You know, we've got, like I said, three that I just told you about and a few more next week we'll be telling you about as well. So. Be on the lookout for all those. If this is your first time listening, I appreciate it. Hit us up at thethunderunderground.com to find all our socials. You can listen to the podcast there. There's reviews, all kinds of stuff. We've also got stuff on YouTube that's separate from this podcast. We've done reviews of the recent the new album from Napalm Death, which came out last week. We did a review on the new Metallica release, the S&M 2. Blu-ray as well recently, so get on there and check that out. That's at the Thunder Underground. But the subject at hand this week is Zach Bear. 
You might not have heard that name when it comes to music because he's relatively new on the scene as far as solo work goes. I know he's had bands throughout the years. He released a song called Rutherford Drive in the past year that's really good. And that's included on his EP, Ordinary Girl, that just came out at the beginning of September. It's got five other songs that hadn't been released yet. So you got six tracks. It's great rock and roll. It's the best way to describe what Zach's doing. Zach's been in the industry for a long time. He's had two companies going in the music business, one called Venue and the other called Disc Live. If you've ever been out at a concert and they say, hey, go over to the merch booth or wherever and you can buy the concert you just heard. You know, 15 years ago, that was on Compact Disc. I remember doing it for, I even mentioned it to Zach, for a show when the Colt played, the Canes Ballroom in Tulsa. And then I did it a few years later. I bought one when Tesla played Hot Springs, Arkansas. I bought the disc of that concert right on the spot, which, you know, is a great idea that apparently he's the one that, you know, revolutionized that. And it's done by obviously other companies now as well. And bands like Metallica and Pearl Jam do it on their own and sell them digitally. A lot of bands this day and age will sell them to you on a USB drive or digitally as well. But that whole idea was kind of pioneered by Zach and Disc Live. And he's also got another company called Venue, which we get into, which is doing some great things on behalf of artists. And of course, we talk a ton about his EP, Ordinary Girl. So let's just jump into this right now. Here's Zach Bear. that you had limited time for music because of all your your businesses like what is it about now during this pandemic obviously that gave you the opportunity to make this EP happen yeah so um you know really i guess um a lot of the material in the EP it's been festering for a long time you know it's like you you start reading a book and you you, <laughs> you never quite get finished with it and finally you you know, one fell swoop, you read the rest of it. Right. And it's, it's almost like that. You know, I, I uh, started writing some of these songs many years ago. And uh, um, when the pandemic hit, um, you know, it was kind of a, a thing where, you know, our, our business and my, and my main company uh, venue um, involves recording major artists out on the road. And we had a big tour scheduled this summer with Matchbox 20 and that got put off until, next year obviously with uh, everything being shut down and uh all of a sudden i had not not only did i have time on my hands but uh also kind of felt that it was a serious enough pandemic that you really didn't know if your ticket's going to be up or <laughs> you know uh your, your bandmate ticket might be up and uh, you know this is a uh, what i would call a uh, a virus that doesn't discriminate in terms of you know who it hits uh, so I started reaching out to some folks and, and reached out to Skid Mills, uh, our producer, uh, who of course has done some bands like Saving Able and uh, 12 Stones and Skillet and a, few, you know, a bunch of other ones. Uh, and he had some uh, open times because of uh, cancellations and things like that. So 
you know, it kind of like all, all the stars aligned and the urgency set in uh, for us to, to go in and, and get it done. You mentioned that all the songs were songs you had a while or any of the songs like newer ones that you wrote this year? Or? Um, yeah. So, um, so there's six, there's actually six songs on the EP. Right. Um, the ti- the title track, Ordinary Girl, I wrote that a long uh, time ago and I'll tell you the story about that one in a minute, but the other songs, um, there's um, a song uh, called Fight. There's a song called Black. There's one called The Great Divide. Uh, there's one called Don't Give Up. And then there's one called Rutherford Drive. Uh, Rutherford Drive, I, I actually wrote that last year and released that as a single, so we included a remastered version on the EP as a bonus track. And then uh, The Great Divide is one that I also wrote uh, recently. That one hasn't ever been uh, released. Uh, actually, none of these songs have really been released, but um, this is a more recent, you know, recent song in terms of, uh, of songwriting. Um, so... Really, the you know the don't give up and um, uh, and black and ordinary girl were, were uh, written, you know, in the last probably 10, 10, 15 years and bits and pieces and finally put together on this EP. <laughs> okay, I mean all the all those six songs kind of range in style. Was that premeditated or was that just kind of natural how it came out? Um, somewhat premeditated. Um, I, you know, I wanted to. You know, let me actually take a step back there. I mean, most of my songs lyrically have fairly positive messages, um, and that's true in the in the EP, except for the song "Black." I mean, that's a little bit dark, but I I did that on purpose in that I wanted to have, um, you know, good rock songs with a range of some of them being a little bit more melodic, and then you know, getting down to more brutally heavy like. like black is uh so that, that was that was that was a plan i also saw that you know that 20 percent of all the sales and streams and downloads are going to the american foundation for suicide prevention and that obviously plays into the, the ordinary girl song was that like something that comes from a personal experience or is this just something you're trying to help get the word out on um absolutely a uh, personal experience um uh, so Ordinary Girl, I, I really, like I said, I wrote that song um, a number of years ago, and it's about a young woman who uh, is considering suicide, and then she is, you know, surrounded with love and support, and eventually decides that she, you know, basically she's not an ordinary girl, but she's extraordinary, and decides to, to stick around. And uh, that song really sat on the burner for a, a long time, and then a year ago, this past August, um, we lost a uh, a young uh, female employee at one of the music venues that I own um, to suicide. She was only about 28 years old, and uh, you know it hit everybody really hard. You know, and and it was just you know it was a tragic situation. And um, uh, at that point, I kind of revived the idea of uh, getting ordinary girl. You know. Uh, back to life and, um, you know, kind of committed to, to, to getting it done. And even, even then I didn't really have a time frame until the pandemic hit. Um, but there, there's absolutely a lot of, uh, uh, a lot of, uh, factual basis for that song. And not only that is that, you know, you know, it's national suicide prevention month. We released the EP on September 1st to kind of coincide with that. And, 
there is a lot of messaging around the song that we're we're trying to do in order to, you know, bring awareness to the fact that suicide is a problem, and um, you know, we as humans need to be really observant of our surroundings in terms of other people that might be having issues, but we're not really aware of that because they're not putting off any any outward signs of that. You know, right. so what I'm hoping to do is, you know, raise some money for the uh, for the charity uh, and the research and and really put a message out there that says that, that, that this is a problem that we need to pay attention to, especially during a time of a pandemic. Yeah. I mean, kind of like you just said, it's a perfect time for it this year because, you know, everything that's going on, you got to imagine that there's a lot of people dealing with, you know, losing jobs and all that kind of thing. Yeah. Not only that is that, you know, in quarantine, people have been cooped up and, right. you know, for the people that I know that, are by themselves, you know, they may not have any family or friends or anything that they would normally hang out with. You know, it's extremely depressing to them. And, and those who are already in a bad mental state, you know, I'm absolutely certain that there's been a, a rise in uh, suicide uh, because of this, you know, and I, I don't have any hard statistics on that yet. I don't know if they, they exist, but I'm surmising that that's probably the case. When you started putting these songs together last year, did you already have, a band or is that something you had to build once you decided to start recording and everything? Um, well, you know, I, I played in, I played in, um, uh, bands for a long, long time. I'm not even, I'm not even gonna tell you the number of years, <laughs> but I played in bands for a long time. And, and, uh, uh, when I decided to, when I wrote Rutherford Drive, uh, in 2019, um, I had, I was toying with the idea of really getting back into, you know, music and you know because i've been on the production side and the music business side for so long um and i i wanted to start putting my own stuff out <clears throat> and so i brought in um actually brought in uh daniel dwight who was a faint uh, a founding member of saving able and uh uh started our studio sessions uh at ardent studios in uh, in memphis and uh brought in another fellow by the name of jeff cobble uh as lead guitarist and when we put the track down, I was like, wow, this is really magic. Um, and at that point, you know, and this was probably about, I don't know, two years ago, I guess, we, we at that point decided to really put the band together and make a point of going out and doing shows and and uh, getting more material uh, on uh, on tape. Not tape, but you know what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah, so, you know, it's a relatively new project in that, um, you know, we've all, the four of us have only been playing together for a couple of years, but, um, the, the foundation of the band is just so, um, uh, so solid and so magical. Um, and I, I mentioned my, my drummer, uh, Jeff Ward too. He's also from the, the mid South area here, but we've just got a great thing going. And, uh, um, you know, we were obviously hoping to get out and do some shows this year. We had some big stages booked, but the pandemic hit, and, uh, well, here we are. <laughs> right. Well, if it, I mean, if it's next year or whenever it happens, is that something you're still planning to hopefully get out and be able to play some shows around the country? Uh, absolutely. You know, I mean, the, uh, when the when this pandemic hit, I kind of re retooled the idea of, um, you know, then we're going to do a bunch of shows in the fall and whatnot, to now we're really focusing on um, promoting the record and uh, getting people aware of 
you know, who we are and aware of the music and whatnot. So by the time the touring season rolls around and hopefully things begin to open up uh, next year, uh, we'll be ready to go and maybe I can leverage some of the relationships I have in the music business side to, to get us on, on some shows. Well, besides doing interviews and stuff like this, like how do you, how are you guys looking into promoting this EP since you can't get out and do the live aspect of it? Well, I mean, it's really all, uh, it's all radio. It's yeah. all um, interviews like this one. Um, I've done a little bit of, uh, of TV and um, a lot of outreach on social media and through bloggers and, and you know, literally grassroots uh, type of uh, marketing and awareness. And that's uh, the only thing we can do right now until we're able to go out and actually hit the road and, and impress people with our musical prowess. Ha ha. <laughs> right. <laughs> I saw your uh, your video that you did, like your cover of "Rocking in the Free World," and I just it, oh, it's, it's kind of uh, I've you know I've thought this about other songs recently, but it just kind of hit me when I was watching the video and the imagery you had in it. It's funny how songs, I mean, that songs over thirty years old and songs that are even fifty years old have as much relevance right now as they did when they were released. Yeah, it's absolutely point on. I mean, that song is absolutely reflective of. Uh, the times we're going through right now. I've honestly never seen anything like this in my lifetime. Right. <laughs> I mean, that song and the it's video, a- everything also showed you as a multi-instrumentalist. Has that always been that way, or did you kind of learn separate instruments over time? Uh, I, you know, I guess uh, mostly a little bit over time. I mean, when I was really young, I learned how to play piano by banging on my mom's piano, you know, when she... She had that at the house and, uh, you know, throughout high school and college, I, I played uh, trumpet and jazz trumpet and along, along the way got exposed to Led Zeppelin and, you know, uh, Boston and Aerosmith and all those, all those bands. And I picked up a guitar and really from then it was, a uh, you know, no looking back at that point. I didn't get serious about it for quite some time, but, um, by necessity, um, uh, when I first put my, uh, my cover band together in Houston, uh, I played bass because I could sing and it only had four strings. So it was easier to play than a guitar. <laughs> um, you know, and then uh, after firing about 18 different guitar players over a two year period, um, I finally decided like, okay, I'm going to pick up a guitar and I'm going to learn how to play, um, you know, for real and hire a bass player. Maybe it'll be a little easier, easier to keep. Well, it really wasn't the case, but at least I learned how to play guitar. <laughs> Well, when you started singing, yeah. was it something that came naturally, or did you have to like work on it to get to where you're at now? Uh, I came pretty fairly naturally, I guess. Um, it wasn't uh, something that I really had to work too hard at. I think probably more than anything, I've worked on techniques, so and my range is a little bit better. But uh, you know, I really never took any vocal lessons or anything like that. Um, I mean, honestly, I've tried to take guitar lessons in the past and I, I get bored in five minutes. So, um, it's all pretty much self-taught or in later years watching YouTube over and over again and <laughs> learning stuff like that. <laughs> well, you, I mean, you kind of mentioned Zeppelin and Aerosmith, but is there, is there anyone, whether it be one of those two or someone specifically that like, this is the person that made me want to be a guitarist or made me want to be a vocalist? Um, believe it or not, the, um, the guy that made me want to be a vocalist, um, I, I was obviously really young, but uh, Brad Delp from Boston. Okay. Um, 
the dude the dude just had such a an amazing voice and and um there's nobody been able to you know replicate um uh him stylistically or anything else and then you know i i like i like guys who can wail you know i, I like jeff tate you know and i like uh um uh, steve perry um you know all these vocalists that 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 really really can sing those are probably all of my influences and um had a large part of me wanting to get into music um it was really you know strangely there was really one experience in particular that finally pushed me into wanting to play professionally um i had gone down to houston um to see a friend i'd never been to houston before at this time i'd never been to a, a city that big and uh, my friend was like all right we're gonna go out and you know check out what's going on around town you're gonna love it you're, you're not gonna want to leave blah 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 so he took me out to this little, uh, uh, it was a hot area of Houston um, called the Richmond Strip at the time, and uh, there was a, a club that was called the Pig and Whistle Pub. Uh, and we went in there, and the place was wall-to-wall people. It was in the middle of the summertime, and it was just packed, and there was a band that was playing. Uh, they were kind of a Beatlesque type of band, but more rocking, original, I can't remember their name. But, you know, everybody was dancing. There was people dancing on the bar, and... You know the vibe was just so amazing. I was like, you know what, this is what I want to do. That was that was the moment that I decided that I was going to really start pursuing music uh, on a more professional level. And literally, like two weeks after that, I packed up and moved to Houston. Oh, nice. Well, speaking of your uh, your company's venue, like talk about what this company does to help. I know I read that you know you're helping with artist compensation as far as music getting played in public spaces and that kind of thing. Yeah, so uh, we have a technology uh, called Soundster, S-O-U-N-D-S-T-R.com, for anybody listening. Okay. And Soundster uh, is a technology that we've been developing and uh, about to go out into beta testing. And the, the, the basic premise of Soundster is that when it comes to um, how the performing rights organizations, uh, like ASCAP and DMI, things like that, uh, allocate royalties to music that's played in public spaces like bars and restaurants and cafes and even radio, they use what's called a general license. And a general license means that, you know, they'll come into a bar and say, okay, you got to pay X amount of dollars and you'll have the right to, to play all the songs that are in, within our catalog. Uh, and if you don't, then we're going to sue you and each instance of copyright infringement could be $150,000. You know, this is kind of the method that they use to try to get bars and restaurants licensed. Um, well, you know, obviously at first blush, the problem with that is that it's really like kind of a shakedown and nobody, especially in these businesses likes to deal with that. Um, but the bigger problem that's on the flip side of that is that, um, because there's no existing technology out there, they don't know who, the general licensing revenue needs to even be allocated to. Um, so, for example, between ASCAP, BMI, CSAC, and GMR, the four main PROs in the country, um, hundreds of millions of dollars a year are collected in these general licensing royalties. And because there's no mechanism to track what's being played in bars and restaurants, a lot of this money ends up going into a big slush fund that really nobody knows what happens to it. Uh, some of it goes to the top touring artists 
um, or top radio hits according to the algorithms that they have. But at the end of the day, they really don't go to the deserving songwriters and uh, publishers that deserve it. Um, a good example of this would be, um, let's take the song Mustang Sally, which is probably played in every, you know, crappy hole in the wall bar in the country on a, <laughs> on a given night. Yeah. And chances are because algorithms are not taking into account older catalog songs and certainly whoever wrote Mustang Sally, and I can't remember who it is, but they're not, you know, on a top 10 touring list and certainly not played on the radio all the time. They're being left out. You know, there's a lot of folks just not getting paid from this. So what Soundster does is a, it's a cloud-based architecture with a custom piece of hardware that goes into these different types of businesses and monitors the music and identifies the music and then identifies, um, you know, who the songwriter and the publisher and the PRO and all that is so that there's an actual audit trail to, to tell exactly what song was played, when it was played, where it was played, so that there's now ammunition for the songwriters and the artists to go back to the uh, PRO and say, hey, my song was played 180 times last week at, at you know, Joe's Bar and Grill. Why am I not getting royalties for this? You know, and that's one aspect. And the other aspect is now you have something that the bar owners have in their hand that says, hey, we're only playing 10 songs of your entire catalog. Why do I need to pay a $2,000 a year license fee when I'm only playing 10 of your songs? Um, so it's a it's a problem that <clears throat> has been around for a long time. It's a hundred year old problem. You know, ASCAP's been around since 1914, I think. And uh, like everything else, technology has the ability to um, uh, change this and create a more transparent mechanism, so that everybody that needs to be paid is going to get paid, and then so and so that actually pay for the music that they use, and nothing more than that. So Soundster is like, it's not meant to replace ASCAP or BMI, it's just kind of in addition to like help the artists get what they deserve? Uh, yeah, I mean, honestly, what we what we hope is that these, you know, and there's, you know, I have an opinion on this, but um, there's not been a lot of motivation from ASCAP and BMI to create the transparency because they have this big pile of money right. uh, that they're collecting. But the entire industry is going that direction. So what we hope is, you know, that eventually ASCAP and BMI will become clients so that they know where the money is going to go to and can make sure that their constituents are, are taken care of. Okay. You know, and we, you know we've had some interest in some, some, some of the PROs and, and having that discussion. Um, ultimately, at the end of the day, um, we're building a platform, though, that can do, will have the capability of do direct licensing. You know, so... They, they wouldn't necessarily have to have a PRO if they wanted to go direct. Um, you know, but of course we don't handle all the same things that the PR, PROs do in terms of, you know, royalties for, you know, radio and things like that. <clears throat> Excuse me. Okay. Well, kind of on, I mean, on a similar subject, do you think, you know, there's lots of talk about, you know, streaming royalties as far as the artist or the, you know, the writer not getting, nearly compensated for what they should off streaming platforms like Spotify. Like, do you think it's too late for something to be done about that? Oh, no. I mean, you know, I mean, there's initiatives now even to uh, create a be better mechanism. And, you know, the streaming royalties are ridiculous. I mean, it's, you know, you, you can get 
a million streams and make a couple hundred bucks, yeah. you know, so it, it's not fair, you know, and, and that whole, that whole structure needs to be, be rethought. And I know there's a lot of initiatives going on like that. So I, I don't think it's too late. I think you're going to see more and more that the, the labels and the artists are going to be um, uh, speaking up about, you know, the money that's being left on the table. And, I, and that's true in, uh, in this general licensing space too. The, the thing is that many artists um, don't realize that they're just not getting paid for stuff that's performed in a, in a bar or a club or a, you know, a cafe or whatever. And, uh, um, if they don't, they're, if they're not aware of the problem, they don't, they're not going to, you know, they don't care, but we, you know, we are going to try to make people aware that there is a problem. And then there, I'm sure there's going to be some big artists that are going to come up and say, Hey, wow. You know, I mean, I, I had a hit song and I should have had, you know, half a million dollars in royalties and I don't have anything, you know? So I think, I think there's a, a movement in the, in the industry as a whole to become more transparent and to become um, a much better revenue driver for the, the creators. Right. Well, I know another one of your companies is Disc Live. Is that like a separate company or is that under the same umbrella as Venue? Uh, it is it's actually a separate company. Okay. Um, and, but, but we have a, uh, you know, we have a, an agreement between the two companies to work together. But Disc Live is... Um, it's known as the pioneer in instant live recording. Um, my former company, we acquired that company back in 2004, I guess. So the first big, you know, first big outing was uh, with the Pixies. And for, for the, those of you listening, what we do is we record the shows and you can walk out with a high quality product like a CD or a, uh, or a USB drive, um, you know, or with a set FM app that we have with, with Venue, uh, a digital copy of, uh, of what you just heard. But, uh, yeah, Disc Live has gone through a few iterations uh, over the years. For a while, we aligned with, uh, with EMI, and we were known as Abbey Road Live. And then uh, we rebranded back to Disc Live Network in 2012 uh, when EMI was uh, purchased by Universal, and we've been doing it ever since. Okay. Yeah, I remember, I think the first time I bought one, I don't know if I meant to look to see if it was a Disc Live product or not, but it was... From like 2005 or 2006, I saw the Colt live and bought the disc on my way out. And I just, you know, even then, 15 years ago, it just kind of blew my mind that you could do that, you know, that quickly. <laughs> uh, it probably was us. I know we worked with uh, Ann Asbury when they were doing uh, Doors of the 21st Century in that time frame as well, which was really, really cool. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, you know, it's like, it's like, Back then when we started doing it, it was a little ahead of the time and the record labels were afraid of, you know, we were going to be competing with them, um, you know, for sales and whatnot. But now you flash forward, um, you have all the labels and the artists looking for new ways to create revenue and we're way ahead of that curve. Uh, you know, like I mentioned, we were supposed to go out with Matchbox 20 uh, this summer, uh, but that's been now put off till, uh, till next summer. But what I feel like is going to happen is because of the pandemic, there's going to be a big push to do a lot of this and add revenue to make up for the loss of revenue this year. Right. Being someone that's involved with, you know, several different aspects of the music industry from behind the scenes, like how do you feel that helps you on the musician side of things? Um, well, I, I definitely can say 15 years ago, I would not have had the relationships I do now. Um, I think it absolutely 
it absolutely helps simply because of the fact all the people that I know now, now the different managers and the different um, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, promoters and label people I know, it gives it give, it give us an edge, I guess. I mean, we have a lot more opportunity than maybe a completely unknown band simply because I can say, hey, you know, I, I, I've worked with some really cool people and we've done good work and we have a, a, a good reputation. Um, so all of that, you know, helps when you're in the music industry. As you know, it, uh, at least some of it is a matter of having those connections and be, being able to leverage those to to, to move ahead. And in all the years I've worked in the music business, I've never played the quote unquote, I'm a musician card until, until, you know, recently, but you know, I'm going to do it now. And, <laughs> uh, I, I can tell you there's nothing more exciting than being on stage and recording some of these artists that I've worked with, uh, and working with them, you know, especially ones that you grew up listening to and, uh, but then the, the, the real, the real deal is getting up there and rocking out yourself, you know, and that's, I, I absolutely live for that. Right. Well, kind of get, I got a random question for you. You mentioned, you know, Brad Delp and everything. Like, what do you think the greatest debut album of all time is? Cause Boston's definitely in the conversation. <laughs> well, it's definitely in the conversation. Um, that's, a, that's really, that's a tough question. Um, I'm trying to think of any mind-blowing records, and honestly, I think in my mind it probably is that Boston record. It was just so good, and you know Tom Schultz recorded that in his basement on his back at the time. I mean, he had a back injury. You know, I mean, who does that? Right. <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah, and the, I mean, but just, yeah, I mean, I think that. Yeah. Yeah, everything about that album is just perfect from beginning to end. Yeah, it's it's just a it's a a great record. I mean. Uh, you know, it's it's hard to top that. I mean, yeah. I, I will say that, I mean, it, you know, the, the first Alice in Chains record was really, really good. And Stone Temple Pilots, and I mean, I'm, I'm a 90s guy, too. I mean, I love all the 90s music, and I love, uh, believe it or not, like I love the Jim Blossoms. Okay. You know, that, that uh, New Miserable Experience was a brilliant record, too. There's There's a lot of, you know, I really appreciate not just the production value, but the songwriting value, uh, you know, as much as the musicianship. Yeah, absolutely. All right, man. Well, I appreciate you taking the time with me today. Yeah, man. Thank you uh, for having me on. And, man, well, I really, really appreciate it. And, uh, you know, thanks for supporting me and the song. And, and uh, thanks for doing what you do. Of course. Absolutely. Thank you. There you go, Zach Bear. A huge thank you to Jody Best of Best Bet Promotions for her continued support of this podcast. And, of course, a huge thank you to Zach for taking some time out there to talk to me about everything he has going on with Disc Live, Venue, and of course, his solo work there with his brand new EP, Ordinary Girl. So if you haven't checked it out yet, you can hear it everywhere you can hear music. Apple Music, Spotify, YouTube. Get on his page on Facebook, follow him. Follow him on Twitter, all the all the socials. And of course, tell them we sent you. Check this thing out. Buy some music. Buy this EP. It's great music. And like we talked about there in that thing, he's got other stuff you can check out on his YouTube channel. He did a cover of Rockin' in a Free World, which was really cool. So yeah, a huge thank you to Zach. And I really liked hearing about the stuff he's got going on with Venue and the help they're doing to try to help artists get compensated better. 
So hopefully that keeps trending in the right direction like it seems to be doing with at least streaming payouts have, you know, started to move up a little bit. They're still not anywhere near they should where they should be for artists and songwriters. But hopefully the work Zach's doing to help, you know, get artists paid through ASCAP and BMI and all that stuff, you know, is a step in the right direction for everything that has been going on in industry for several years. So that's kind of a topic, you know, that has come up throughout the years in this podcast for the past five and a half years that we've been doing this with a ton of different artists. And everybody's got a different opinion on, you know, streaming platforms and the way things are working these days, especially artists that, you know, have lived in both eras. The artists that worked pre-streaming, pre-Napster, all that stuff. And of course, you know, even newer artists, you know, have their say on it as they should, but hopefully everybody can get compensated the way they should. And I, for one, even though I'm not an artist myself, appreciate everything Zach and his companies are doing. So once again, thank you to Zach. Check out the EP Ordinary Girl. If this is your first time listening, I greatly appreciate it. We've had, like I said, 287 previous episodes just last week, we had David Elfson from Megadeth. He's been on here twice. We've also had Chris Broderick, formerly of Megadeth. James Lomenzo, who was formerly of Megadeth, who's also in Black Label Society, Pride and Glory, White Lion. He now is the bass player for James Fogarty. I've seen him live with Fogarty a few times. That's great stuff. Speaking of the Fogarty style of music, we've had on Damon Johnson and Ricky Warwick from Thin Lizzy. And of course, Damon Johnson from Brother Kane and both of them from Black Star Writers. Damon Johnson's been on here a couple times and you never know, he might be on here again soon. I've also had on members of KISS, Gene Simmons, Bruce Kulik has been on here, Glenn Hughes, the mighty Glenn Hughes, who I would put on the Mount Rushmore of rock and roll vocalists. I would put him up there as one of the four greatest vocalists in the history of rock. I had the honor of talking to him a couple months ago, so check that one out if you haven't. We've also had on Vivian Campbell of Def Leppard and Dio, John Connolly of Seven Dust, Dizzy Reed of Guns N' Roses, Jason Todd, formerly of Shinedown. We've had on members of Saving Abel, Trapped, Warrant, Europe, Great White, Tesla, Avatar, Killswitch Engage, Clutch, Prong, Typo Negative, a long, long list that keeps getting longer and includes many artists that we know and love, and I'm sure many artists that you know and love. So just dig back through there. Check out something you missed. You can listen to us, like I said, on our website, The Thunder Underground. You can listen pretty much anywhere podcasts are heard, like Spotify, TuneIn, MixCloud, SoundCloud, all those great things. Follow us on YouTube at The Thunder Underground to check out our videos. We'll probably have one here again in the next week on an album review as well. We've done recent reviews on Metallica, Havoc, Napalm Death. Follow us on all our socials. Click like. Anything you see us post, if you just like it or comment or share it, that's an easy free way that you can help us out. Same goes for Zach Bear or any artist. Because you know, you've seen it all, how the People talk about how artist pages on Facebook work. They don't get viewed by everybody that likes the page, so... All you gotta do is 
hit share or like or comment. And as soon as you do that, it helps spread the, spread the, that post around, you know, it, it helps get it out there. So we would greatly appreciate that. You can also hit us up on Patreon if you want to help monetarily or buy some of our merch at thethunderunderground.com. We've got t-shirts, shot glasses, koozies, a few other things, magnets, stickers. So hopefully have some more stuff here for you to check out here in the coming months. But yeah, once again, we've got an episode coming up with Jeff Carlson of the Jeff Carlson Band, Mercedes Lander of Kitty and the White Swan. Joe Cotella of Dead. And like I mentioned up front, three or f- we got four actually scheduled here coming up in the next week and a half. So next week we'll be telling you about those, and they're all pretty exciting. They include two of them that are scheduled are people that have been on this podcast before, and two of them are artists that have never been on this podcast. So really looking forward to that. All right, I'll quit rambling and let you all get out of here. I appreciate you listening and checking this episode out. Once again, check out Zach Baird's new EP, Ordinary Girl. And a huge thank you to Zach. A huge thank you to Hell Hot Hot Sauce, Sunset Tattoo, Med Farm, and DB Concerts. And until next time. Thunder Underground, y'all. (laughs) 